Hail and well met, everyone. Welcome to Geek Thyself, a podcast by a nerd for other nerds that love geeking out over random facts and esoteric trivia. My name is Heather, and I'll be your host as we journey into the wondrous land of information. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Geek Thyself. This week, I wanted to talk about another subject that's science-related, sort of like last week. This particular subject is another issue that can sometimes be sort of a hot button for a lot of people. So I'm going to start off with the facts and then, like usual, throw my own opinion in there here and there because it's my show and I get to do that. So this week, I'm going to be talking about vaccines. To start off with, most people know what a vaccine is, but the true definition of a vaccine is a substance used to stimulate the production of antibodies and provide immunity against one or several diseases, prepared from the causative agent of a disease, its products, or a synthetic substitute, and treated to act as an antigen without inducing the disease. So to break this down, a vaccine is a substance that makes your body, your immune system, create antibodies to a disease or to several diseases, depending on the vaccine. It's prepared by using either the causative agent, so the, the trigger essentially of the disease, the products, so whatever the disease produces, or a synthetic substitute, so something that's lab created. And it acts as an antigen without inducing the disease. And what that means is that one of those things, either the, co- the what causes the disease, the product of the disease, or the synthetic substitute of the disease, is created in such a way that it will cause your body to form antibodies so that it can fight off the disease without actually making you have the symptoms of the disease. So, for example, smallpox is a vaccine that's been around for a very long time. The smallpox vaccine makes your body create antibodies to it, but you don't actually get smallpox from the vaccine. There are several different types of vaccines depending on how they're created. I work with vaccines at work since I work at a vet hospital, so I know mostly about animal vaccines, but the overall premise is the same, whether it be for animal or human. So I'm going to give you the information I have and explain to you why I think vaccines are important. So I'm going to start off with talking about the different types of vaccines. There are four main types of vaccines, live attenuated vaccines, inactivated vaccines, subunit recombinant polysaccharide and conjugate vaccines, that's all one type, or toxoid vaccines. Live attenuated vaccines are vaccines that have the virus or germ or whatever cause of the disease in it, but it's in a very, very weakened form. So basically it's been modified so that it's not as likely to cause the symptoms. It's not going to hurt you. You might get some mild symptoms, but it's not going to cause nearly the same effect. They're really similar to the initial infection, which makes them very effective at giving you long-lasting immune response And usually you just need a couple doses and then you might even be protected for life because your body has developed such good antibodies. 
But there are some limitations because you do have to use a small amount of the live virus, which can in some cases then cause problems, or if you have a weakened immune system, it could cause you to actually get the infection. So for people that are immunosuppressed or that have been dealing with a long-term disease or things like that, or maybe have had organ transplants because your immune system's already being suppressed, which could be a very big deal, for those sorts of situations, live vaccines are not necessarily recommended, so they might be, you might be told not to have them. Some examples of live vaccines, though, that are, we're very familiar with include things like measles, chicken pox, smallpox that I mentioned just a little while ago, yellow fever, things like that. So there are a lot of live attenuated vaccines. At work, I work with some vaccines. We actually call it modified live, but it's essentially the same idea. It's a weakened version of that particular virus or disease. And in at my work, we use them specifically for the upper respiratory viruses that cats can get. So things like Khaleesi and herpes and things like that are inside this vaccine. And it's a modified live vaccine. But not every vaccine can be done as a modified live vaccine, and not every vaccine does well that way. The second type of vaccine are the inactivated vaccines. So inactivated vaccines essentially mean that the virus in them has been killed. It's a killed germ or a killed disease inside the virus. They don't provide immunity that's as strong because your body doesn't mount as strong a response to it since that virus or disease is dead. So your body doesn't recognize it as strongly, you don't have as strong an infection, it doesn't fight it off as hard, and your antibodies will work, but they're not quite as effective. A good example of this for humans is the flu vaccine. The flu vaccine is an inactivated or killed vaccine. Because it's killed, that's one of the many reasons why some people won't respond as well to it or why you might take it but still get the flu. In addition to there being different strains, you could also potentially not develop as strong an antibody from it and therefore get some kind of flu infection anyway. Another really good example of a killed vaccine or inactivated vaccine is the rabies vaccine. This one I am very, very familiar with because of work. So at one point, they did try to make a modified live rabies vaccine for animals. Unfortunately, the rabies virus is a very strong virus, and what ended up happening is that even though it was modified live, so it was altered so that it shouldn't cause the animal to actually get rabies, there was a percentage of animals who developed rabies from that vaccine. So there are some viruses and diseases where they cannot do a live attenuated version. They have to do the inactivated version, simply because they might actually cause the disease in the person. And especially in situations like rabies, we obviously don't want that because rabies is fatal when you get it. I know that for the human rabies vaccine, if you have the vaccine in your system, you still have to get additional shots if you're bitten or scratched or whatever by an animal that may be rabid because it's a inactivated or killed vaccine. So it's not quite as strong. So that's why you have to get additional injections afterwards if you're exposed because you need to boost your immune system. And what they'll do is they'll actually take the immune globulin. So 
basically extra to boost your immune system and inject it into the site where you were exposed. Now, alternative to that, if you've never had a rabies vaccine, what they'll have to do is they call it post-exposure prophylaxis, where they'll not necessarily know for certain if you have it, but we'll do it anyway if we're concerned the animal might have had it. And they'll take the rabies immune globulin and inject it into the site where you were exposed. And then you'll also have to do several rounds of rabies vaccines. Again, if you've already had one, they just kind of give you a single booster. If you haven't had one before, you actually have to have several rabies injections rather than just one. However, luckily, nowadays, the current rabies vaccines are actually given in your arm, like a flu shot or a tetanus shot. They don't have to be given into the gut like they used to have to be at one point. So that at least is good. The next type of vaccine is referred to as one of these four names, either a subunit, recombinant, polysaccharide, or conjugate vaccine. So these are all a similar type of vaccine, and what they've done in those vaccines is they take a piece of the germ, a piece of the virus or whatever. So they take some part of it that will cause your body to form antibodies, but then they take that piece and they put it into something different. So for example, in recombinant ones, because that's the one I'm most familiar with because we work with a few recombinant vaccines, there are recombinant rabies vaccines for cats and dogs. And what they did is they took a piece of the rabies vaccine, excuse me, a piece of the rabies virus, just a piece of it, and they inserted it into canary pox. The cat will have an immune response to canary pox, but it won't actually get canary pox since it's, you know, it's a bird pox. It's not going to hurt them. But because it's carrying that little piece of rabies DNA, their body will also develop rabies antibodies. So it's a very effective vaccine without you having to do the risk of a live vaccine, like the live attenuated vaccines, the modified ones. And it's also more effective than just the killed ones, which are the inactivated ones. So you actually get really good protection and it doesn't have the potential side effect of giving you the virus. They're also good for people who have weakened immune systems and or long-term health problems because the way they're done means that you develop good antibodies without being exposed to getting the actual infection itself. So this is a good thing. Some human examples of this include the hepatitis B vaccine, the whooping cough vaccine, and the shingles vaccine. The one limitation on them, though, unfortunately, is that you may have to get booster shots more often because you have to keep re-protecting yourself over and over again. You develop good antibodies, but it's not quite as good as the live attenuated ones, so you still have to boost it occasionally. Like I said, that specifically deals with the recombinant one, which is what I'm familiar with. In terms of the other ones, the piece of the germ or virus that you're going to be using may vary, but the reason they're called the subunit recombinant polysaccharide conjugate vaccines is because you're using a protein, a sugar, or a capsid, which is the casein around certain viruses. And because you're using those pieces, your body's developing the immune response to just that piece. That's why it's 
safer for people who have immune issues because you're not responding to as much of the germ. However, like I said, it does mean that you have to re-up it a little more often sometimes depending on which one it is. The last type of vaccine is called a toxoid vaccine. This is one that I actually do not work with very often personally. There are some out there that are similar, I believe. I'd have to double check. I know there is a vaccine for rattlesnake bites that they can give to dogs now. And I believe that one is somewhat along these lines where there's a low dose of the toxin and they develop an immunity, but I'll have to double check that. Toxoid vaccines use a toxin, which is harmful product made by the germ. So something that your system's not going to like, and they create the immunity to that product. It's good because instead of trying to target the entire germ or virus or disease itself, you're targeting another specific portion of it. In this case, you're targeting specifically the toxin, which is what makes you sick in the first place. Again, the downside with this one, though, just like with the recombinant one, is that because you're targeting a specific piece of it, you do have to re-up your boosters a little more often sometimes. Some examples of this include the diphtheria vaccine and the tetanus vaccine. Those are good examples of toxoid vaccines where they're focused on the toxin rather than the entire germ itself. I do know also that there have been developments and research done looking into new types of vaccines. Two of those types of vaccines that are being developed are DNA vaccines and recombinant vector vaccines. So DNA vaccines are vaccines that are being developed with special DNA that's been manufactured to create a antigen for the disease. So what's happening is instead of your body creating an immune response the same way that we know vaccines usually work, what happens is that they give you an injection of genetically engineered DNA and those cells directly produce antigen all on their own. So basically what's happening is somebody gives you a shot and then that shot creates antibodies all on its own. Your immune system doesn't have to respond to it. Your body doesn't have to do anything except get the injection, and then the DNA will create the antigens for you. None of these have been approved yet for human use. They are developing some for Zika that, again, hasn't been approved for human use yet, especially not in the U.S., but they have started developing them. They're starting to get them approved, and in veterinary medicine, there actually have been one or two that were approved. One that I know of, though I've never actually used, is a vaccine for horses that protects them from West Nile virus. So there's not a lot of them out there, but there are a couple that exist and there's more developments every day. The second type of vaccine that's being researched The second type of new vaccine I mentioned that's being researched, the recombinant vector vaccine, is actually a lot like the recombinant vaccine that I mentioned earlier that they have for cats. So as early as 1996, there are articles, journal articles, so medical journal articles, talking about using different canary pox viruses 
to insert DNA into and create vaccines for dogs and cats, and that they had tried some early studies with humans and not seen any negative side effects from it. They, I don't think they used the canary pox for the humans, but the little snippets of the article I was able to find didn't specify. But this gives a perfect example of ways where we're now trying to do more research and find out other ways that those can be done. So they're essentially looking into ways where they can combine DNA from one virus or germ or disease, insert it into one that you and I wouldn't have a strong reaction to, and then use that to have our bodies create an immune system response without actually getting the disease and without getting sick and feeling horrible. And so they're doing more research, but they haven't approved any for human use yet. It is definitely something that people are doing a lot of research into, though. And actually, earlier this year, a grant was approved back in January for someone who is doing more research into it. It was approved on January 9th of this year. They applied for it back in 2014, but they finally got it. And it's a grant basically uh, allowing them to use some federal funding to do more research into this to try to develop new types of vaccines, which is really cool. They're actively trying to do this. With that, I'm going to go into our break. And when I come back, I will tell you more about vaccines, some side effects you can look out for in some cases, although these are things that I see at work with animals, so not necessarily the same for humans. And I'll be back after the break. Hi, everyone. So this week, I really want to talk about a couple of shows. The first one I want to talk about is our show here on the network by Will Crosswaite. Those of you who are big Critical Role fans may know him from the Cantata Pansophical. He was one of the producers for that and wrote a lot of the music and, well, helped adjust a lot of the music for the show that they put together. And he has a show on our network called Crosswords, where he talks about how to bring bards to life at your table and little tips and tricks for how you can play a bard, similar to the way Sam Regal does it on Critical Role, or did it on Critical Role, I should say, where he, you know, came up with good songs really quickly and really fast and improv a lot, things like that. Another show I want to talk about is the newest one to join the network, which is Lawful Stupid. I definitely recommend you check it out. You can listen as Rowan the Bard, Atlas the Barbarian, and Kristoff the Sorcerer Rogue go up against all the stuff that Dwayne the DM throws at them, and all of the chaos and hijinks and enjoyment that ensues. It's a lot of fun to listen to these guys. They put on a great production, and I definitely recommend you check it out. The storyline's interesting, and I can't wait to see what's going to happen next. You can find both of those shows at nerdsmith.org. You can also find Crosswords on YouTube, because it's videos. And you can find Lawful Stupid wherever you download your podcasts. And with that, let's get back to this week's topic. Okay, so getting into the second half of the show, I'm going to talk a little bit more about 
possible side effects and things like that from vaccines. Again, I work in the veterinary field, not the human one. So these reactions that I'm going to be talking about specifically deal with veterinary medicine because I am not as familiar with the human ones. I assume some of them are similar, but I would definitely recommend talking to your doctor. Don't assume that what I'm telling you is going to be the same thing for you and me as it would be for the cats that I work with. So in cats, some of the possible reactions we recommend people keep an eye out for include vomiting, diarrhea, not eating, or being extremely lethargic, way, way too lethargic. With the vaccines that we use at my hospital, we don't see these very often. We use the safest vaccines we know of out there on the market for cats. So we try to be really careful about that because a lot of cats can be very sensitive. But for your own pets or for yourself, it's always good to ask your doctor if there are any. They should be able to give you information on that if it's a concern. That being said, I personally am not, not an anti-vaxxer. I recommend getting vaccinated. There's multiple reasons for this, not the least of which is that personally, if I'm going to have a side effect like a sore arm or a little bit of vomiting, I would rather have that side effect than get measles. But that's just me. I am not going to force my opinion on anyone else until it becomes a problem. This brings up the issue of herd health, which a lot of people may have heard about. One of the reasons that there are so many people who have concerns about the anti-vaxxer movement is that by not vaccinating, it means that you make yourself more prone to getting that disease. Obviously, that is a personal choice, but... Unfortunately, by doing that, you then risk exposing all of the people who can't have the vaccine to the disease. In the U.S., we had basically wiped out measles and smallpox, and now I'd have to double check on smallpox, but I know they've had measles outbreaks because people aren't vaccinating their children or themselves for measles, and then unfortunately people who can't have the vaccine, people who are immune suppressed or who are too young, such as babies, aren't getting the measles vaccines because they simply can't have it. And then they end up getting measles, which the point of herd health is the term they use. The point of herd health is that those that are healthy and strong have immunity that then protects the rest of the herd. So if those who are healthy and strong are not getting vaccinated and then get a mild version of the disease, they can then pass it on to someone who doesn't have any immunity to it at all. So you end up with one-year-old children who are too young to have a vaccine getting a disease that they can't really fight well against because they simply don't have a strong enough immune system yet because they're so little. So they can't have the vaccine to protect them. They get it from somebody else who decided not to have the vaccine for one reason or another, and then they end up getting it. And because they then have it, everyone in their family has a higher chance of getting it, not to mention any other children they've come into contact with, and the cycle just keeps repeating. This is why a lot of people who are in the medical field recommend doing the vaccinations. Also, going back to where I was talking earlier about side effects, I know there's a lot of people who worry about the potential side effects of vaccines and it causing autism. The doctor who originally published that finding has since gone back and said, I lied. He lied. He did not actually have any research proving that vaccines caused any kind of autism. But he published the article 
for whatever reason, trying to get recognition, trying to get notoriety. I can't tell you because I can't read his mind, but whatever reason he had, he did it. And unfortunately, a lot of people latched onto it and are now concerned about it. The truth is they've never, ever been able to find a link between vaccines and autism. It doesn't exist as far as we know. They've never found one. It is true that there are some chemicals in vaccines sometimes, but they've been thoroughly vetted and tested and the FDA wouldn't be allowing people to inject them into you if they weren't safe. That being said, there are always going to be potential side effects with anything you put into your body. That includes food. I could go chug an entire gallon of milk. Is there going to be a side effect? Yes, I am going to feel horrible. Not to mention, if you have any sort of lactose intolerance, you're going to feel extra horrible. But that doesn't mean the milk is inherently bad for me. And it doesn't mean I shouldn't ever drink it. It just means you have to be careful and know what you're doing. Drinking a gallon of milk is not the best of ideas. This is admittedly true for most people, I believe. So everything like that that you see online, I would recommend taking a very large grain of salt with it. Do your research. If you're concerned about it, you should definitely do your research. I highly recommend that. There are a lot of medical journals you can read online that are accessible to the everyday person. And if you're having trouble understanding some of the more technical terminology, you could always reach out to a college professor or talk to your doctor, talk to your healthcare professionals, ask them their opinion, find out from them what they think you should have or shouldn't have and why. I do know that sometimes it seems like there's a lot of vaccines they're recommending for people, especially young children, but the reason is because they're trying to make sure your child doesn't get that disease and they're also trying to promote the herd health that I was talking about. If your child is healthy and young and has a good immune system, then them having a vaccine that will then make it so you don't have to worry about your 90-year-old grandmother getting sick from something that your child has will decrease. You won't have to worry about your more immunosuppressed older relatives because your child is vaccinated and is not going to bring that disease into the house. There's, It's that sort of idea. By vaccinating the healthy, we are protecting the weaker members of the herd, the tribe, the country, whatever term you want to use. I do want to be clear. Also, I'm definitely not trying to start any kind of online battle with people who disagree with me. If you are an anti-vaxxer and don't agree with vaccinating your children, then what I would recommend and really would ask you to do if you are willing to do it is Talk to a medical care professional. Talk to your doctor. Talk to your children's doctor. Talk to a college research professor. Any of those things, whatever you're comfortable with. Talk to someone who actually works with the vaccines, who develops them, who knows about the ins and outs of what's going into the vaccine. I would say call the company, except I know personally, even for me, knowing that these companies are developing vaccines to help people, part of me is still like, well, but they're trying to sell them too. So I understand if you don't want to talk to the company, but if you can find a researcher or a professor or a doctor, anyone who's not getting paid by the company, which is most of them, trust me, it's most of them, unless they work for the company, pretty much all of them. Talk to them and find out what they think about those different vaccines. Find out, do they think it works? Do they think it doesn't work? What's the 
benefits? What are the possible concerns? Are there side effects you should be worried about? I mentioned earlier that certain types of vaccines, you do have to worry about having a mild reaction to it because if you're more susceptible to it or immunosuppressed, you might actually get the disease. That's why some people get sick from the flu shot. They Their bodies just respond that way. So those are things you need to be aware of, and it's definitely things you should talk to your doctor about. If you've ever had a reaction to a vaccine, tell your doctor, because I know from personal experience at the vet hospital, if we don't know your pet has had a reaction, we can't, we can't do anything without the information. I mean, if you tell us they had a reaction, then we can make notes on your chart. We can say, don't give them this vaccine again. We can say, give them medication beforehand to help stop them from having a reaction. There, there are things that can be done, but if you don't tell your medical professional, they have no way to help you because they won't even know that you had the reaction in the first place. So Definitely do your research, and if it's a hot button for you and you really, really, really don't like that I talked about wanting you to vaccinate your children, which I do, then, you know, I apologize. Sorry if I offended you. I'm not trying to create drama. I don't want to cause anything to go viral. Pun not intended. Ugh. But I just wanted to give you the information and my opinion. And hopefully that's why you're listening to the podcast. Because honestly, this podcast is pretty much just information sprinkled with my opinion here and there. So like I said, if there's any questions, if you think something I said isn't right, or if you're concerned that something I said is only slightly true or only half true, whatever... Everything I looked up or everything I talked to you about today is either information I know from working in a medical field for the last 12 years, or it is information that I actually got off of the government website for Health and Human Services. So information about the different types of vaccines and the way they work, things like that, came directly from there in addition to what I already knew because I wanted to make sure I got good information. So... It's a reputable site. It's got good information on it. A lot of this I knew already. I'm not trying to make anything up. I'm not trying to cause issues with anyone. I repeat again. Wash, rinse, repeat over and over. And with that, I think I'm going to call an end to this episode. Again, the research I did was either information I already knew or information I found on the website for the Government Health and Human Services. Well, U.S. government because... Obviously, some of you may be listening from out of country. The website is actually www.vaccines.gov. And then from there, you could click on different options to find out more information about the different kinds. Do they recommend them? Do they have side effects? That sort of situation. So definitely this is a good site to start with if you're looking to do more research into how comfortable or not comfortable you may be with vaccines. I would recommend checking it out. I found it very informative. Like I said, some of the information was stuff I already knew, but I was able to confirm the information I knew, and nothing on there that they had was anything I wasn't expecting to see, so that's a good thing. So I hope you found this week's topic informative. I apologize. There were a couple of times I know during the episode where my cat Cupid was meowing a little bit in the background or trying to get my attention, so... Those might get edited out a little bit in post, but depending on where she meowed, I may not be able to get them all. So hopefully that doesn't bother anyone because I have limited options on that one.
Please remember to check out the other wonderful podcasts and productions here at nerdsmith.org. I'll be back next week with a new and interesting topic. And until then, don't forget to geek thyself. Sorry, guys. We got to jump it. I'm sorry. What do you do? What do you mean jump it? You're going to do a wild jump? You're going to kill I us all. I don't have a choice. Oh, I'm no, sorry. no. This isn't good. You know what happened last time. It, we're not. I got to go. Sorry. Oh, hold God. on. Guys, we're taking fire. Land is near a hospital. Hold on. Like what you hear? This is a small sample of the action and excitement that await you every Monday on the Chaotic Goodness Podcast. Download us on your favorite podcast app and join us for space opera, action, adventure, and lots and lots of console cleaning. Let the chaos begin. Now we can be found as part of the Nerdsmith Podcast Network. Find us at nerdsmith.org.